Some of you may look at the title of the sermon and think I'm talking about you. That was not my design, but I assure you, I can call your name out at any moment in time. (laughs) I want you, if you can, think back to a time when you felt like everybody was against you. When even your own mind, heart, seemed like it was working against you. And you were tired, frustrated. Seemed like the ones that you loved, you were disappointing them. Everybody you knew seemed like you were disappointing them. And to God, you were disappointing. And even to yourself, you were a disappointment. I remember when I was 14, feeling in an acute way that sensation of just an utter disappointment with myself. And what I didn't realize is that it really wasn't my parents and friends and everybody else against me. And it really wasn't God against me. What became true and really aware of in my heart through the Holy Spirit was that I was against God. And when you are against God and the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it seems like everybody is against you. And it seems like you're a disappointment to yourself and to everyone, but really it's just the fact that you are not for God in your heart. It's not that you ever consciously chose that you want to be anti-God. It's just that you forget about God and you serve yourself. Now, don't think yourself as uh, unusual. The fact of the matter is, everybody born is born that way. They're born with their back against God. We come into a world that was made by God. Meant to glorify God for his purposes. And every beautiful thing is to reflect his beauty. Every complex thing is to show the complexity of God. Every creative thing is to show the creativity of God. And all these things point to God. But we are born living in a world where we try to figure out how things can work to ourselves. The crime is we're born self-focused in a world that's meant to be for God. And so yes, we are against God. I want to take you to a character in the Bible in Genesis chapter 28 that has that same issue, has that same problem. And in this chapter is a confrontation of who will this one live for? Will he continue to live for himself or will he live for God? At this point, he may have not given much thought uh, consciously to God, uh, not in a way of his own life living for him. But we have a collision, and it's kind of, I reflect and remember this collision that occurred in my life when I was 14. Some of you may identify with this and can think back in a time when you yourself, and in a way, collided with God, and He had to make a decision whether you're going to continue your way, or you're going to acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and King, and follow Him. And so, we come to the story of Jacob. You remember the book of the Bibles, the books of the Bible, are really the story of God's redeeming work through history toward mankind. And so if you want to figure out what the Bible is about, it all fits into that main lesson. The story of God's redeeming work of mankind throughout history. And so Genesis certainly is about that, introducing that. But also, as we go, we find these sub-themes, and it is about the character of these individuals that God uses. We've seen 
how God is working and bringing a redeemer to history, how he uh, spotlighted Abraham and said from Abraham's line would be the one who would come, who would redeem mankind, would be a blessing to all nations. And he narrowed it down from Ishmael uh, into Isaac. And it's not of the Arab groups that come from Ishmael, but of the ones that come from Isaac and told him once again the same promise that I will bless you and those who bless you will be blessed and, and those who curse you will be cursed and from your line will be the blessing for all the nations. And then he had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And we find in this passage that God, once again, narrows down that it's not of the Esau, the Edomite group, but it would be of those who come from Jacob. And once again, the promises are given. But all along the way, yes, he's doing his work. He takes the time to work and build shape and fine tune the character of these men. We have the book of Genesis, much of it given to Abraham, much of it given to Jacob, and much of it given to Joseph. Those three characters uh, make up most of the book of Genesis. Isaac uh, gets bypassed in a lot of ways as a point of emphasis, uh, but Jacob takes the spotlight. And I think partly because we can identify with Jacob. Jacob had a lot of faults that God was working with and and working through. And we can identify with these faults that Jacob has. Up to this point, the name Jacob means uh, deceiver. Just to catch you up, uh, he was born a twin son uh, with Esau being the the first one, he coming second. God gave him prophecy at his birth that the younger would be over the older. Jacob would be over Esau. And uh, for whatever reasons, Isaac and Rebekah took sides. Rebekah loved uh, Jacob more. Isaac loved Esau more. And it played out uh, as time went on. Jacob deceived and tricked out his brother Esau to get the birthright from him and traded the birthright for, uh, well, a bowl of lentil soup. Doesn't seem like a fair trade, uh, but he duped out Esau to get that. And then uh, when it comes time to the end times, when Isaac thinks that it's in the end, he wants to give us his blessing, Rebecca finds out about it. And Rebecca and Isaac uh, scheme up a plan to counteract the scheme that Isaac's doing with Esau. And uh, consequently, uh, through the lies of Jacob and deceit, he gets the blessing which means that all the, the best of, of Isaac's possessions go to him. But not only that, the promises of God given to the family goes to uh, uh, Isaac, or to uh, Jacob. Esau is furious. And he mumbles and mutters to himself, seething on the inside, and says that the moment I can get away with it, the moment that my father dies, I will kill my brother. Rebecca, becoming aware of these things and looking out for her beloved son, who I believe loves more than even Isaac, gets up a scheme and says, okay, well, let's send our son away, Jacob, making sure he won't get trouble, and uh, says to Isaac, well, we need to send him away so that he can find a wife. He is at the age of 77, as well as Esau. These are not young men, as you might think. Uh, they are, in that day and time, actually middle-aged. Uh, and so they go out, and he's to find a wife, and he's to go a long ways away to do so, with the hope that Esau will calm down, simmer down, uh, and uh, that uh, Jacob will be saved. Esau had no way of knowing that Isaac was going to live another 40-some years. Rebekah had no way of knowing that she would never see her son again. Uh, she would die before uh, she would be able to send word back to uh, Jacob. 
And that's where we find ourselves at this passage at Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. And we see a conniving, deceitful, selfish, uh, dysfunctional family. Jacob being the, the most prominent one at this point. And we ask ourselves, how will God deal with Jacob? How is he going to, how is he going to correct him? And let's see, uh, what the just holy God will do. And so that's where we find ourselves. In, in honor of what we're about to read, this being the word of God, let's stand as we read this together. Genesis chapter 28, starting with verse 10, going through 22. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. The land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in, thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. And poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at that first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will give and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put upon so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee the tenth unto thee. You may be seated. When Rebecca sent Jacob on to this homeland, her homeland, you need to understand it was not a quick trip. It was not a weekend journey. The destination from where they were at Beersheba uh, to where uh, Rebecca's home was, was about 500 miles. We're talking, uh, if you could look at the southern border of Turkey, that would be the destination where they were headed. Now, when you go 500 miles on foot, it takes a little bit of time. The, if you remember, the reason for the journey was to find a wife. But you compare this with Abraham searching for a wife for his son Isaac, and you'll see some stark differences. When Abraham sent out his servant to go to the same area... He did so sending out a caravan of ten camels, one for protection and two to carry the goods. What were the goods for? The gold and the silver and the various other treasures. The gold and silver and the treasures were there so that when the servant found a candidate, that he would be able to present these gifts to the family so the family would be more inclined to let their daughter go uh, back with him to marry Isaac. And so when you find Jacob on a similar journey, and he comes and no doubt gets permission from Isaac, you find that there are no camels. 
There are no treasures that are going with Jacob. In fact, from what we get in the story, is just Jacob. Was Isaac in bad times? Was he not as well off as his father Abraham? No. He inherited all the riches of Abraham, whom Abraham was blessed by God in prosperity. And the Bible tells us that Isaac prospered as well. And so you had in Isaac wealth upon wealth. It was not for lack of resources that Isaac does not give. If anything, it may be by the simple fact that Jacob was the one who just deceived Isaac and just duped him. And so it could very well be that Isaac was more interested in seeing Jacob leave than he was in actually finding success. And not providing the resources for him to go. What are the memories of Jacob as he leaves his home? Could it be that he's looked past his weeping mother. As he looks at his father giving a a goodbye. That he sees his brother seething in anger. Maybe it's the cold determined uh, fury in his face. The the icy look in his eyes. Or it could be the the screaming rage and red face. It could be a little bit of both. But nonetheless, that's in the background as he's saying his goodbyes and and says his mother goodbye for the last time. For weeks of a journey. At this point, as he gets to the place of Luz, it's about 70 miles away from home. Two days of walking. Two days of thinking. Two days of pondering. Two days of wondering what might have been. And behind every little bend could have been the bandit that would do him in. It could be the thieves that would uh, steal the little bit that he has. And so as he comes to this place called Luz, he is filled with the fears of the journey in front of him, of the memories of the past, of the guilty conscience that he has, that he's not even wanting to go into the city as is normal the custom, and says, you know what, I think I'll just stay outside of the city and find a place to sleep right here. I'm too afraid to go into the city. And so he lays down his head and he picks out rocks and finds one suitable for a pillow. That's interesting. How do you discern that? What rock is better than another for a pillow? Whatever his thought process was, he picked one out and laid down his head. You could understand why he might have had a sleepless night. The mattress was a little lumpy. The pillow was very hard and his mind was filled with guilt. His heart was filled with fear and there was no one beside of him. He lays down homeless, penniless, helpless, alone. Now, as I read this passage, I'm thinking, good. It's about time. He is a conniving sort. He has done his brother wrong. He has done his father wrong. He needs to get some punishment in his life. That's my way of thinking. I'm thinking, you know, it serves him right to spend the next few weeks alone and not take for granted his father and mother. This will teach him a lesson or two. And I, I, I read this and you think, you know, I wonder what God has to say. What is, what is his contribution in all of this? Well, we're about to get it. As he lays down for a long night, a very strange night, a dream that is most famous. And we find a revelation. The revelation at Bethel, the revelation of God to Jacob. And we find it given he's dreamed and he sees simply a ladder or stairway. And that, that word stairway, it's reminiscent of the ziggurats. It's, it's reminiscent of the towers that people would, re, would resurrect and, and, and for their own glory. It's reminiscent of the Tower of Babel that, that the people built to, to reach up to the heavens. 
for their own glory. But we find that this one starts with God and is placed down toward earth. And it's not man doing it, but God doing it. And so on this stairway, this marvelous stairways that he sees up in the heavens are angels ascending and descending up and down this stairway. And in our cultural time, we are often fascinated with angels. We need to understand in the Bible, there are very few people who ever see angels in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Jacob is one of them, and he sees many of them at one time. But, you know, that's not probably what caught Jacob's eye. Maybe at first when he sees him, but there's something else that gazes, that, that captures his attention. We wonder what on earth could drag, could distract us from looking at angels. Well, as we read in the passage in verse 13, we come across exactly what it is. As we see, behold, the Lord stood above it. This was the true star of the dream. This is what captured the eyes of Jacob as he, as he was looking up from where he laid and looked up to this stairway. And there at the very top of this was the very presence of God, the very spirit of God that he could look and see these angels going up and down from him to there. What on earth does this mean? This dream? What, what's Jacob supposed to take from this? Well, God isn't going to leave it up just for Jacob's interpretation. God adds explanation to the dream. And he starts revealing something about himself. Verse 13. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Let me ask you, what would have Jacob known about this God? When the God introduces himself as the God of your father and your grandfather, what would have Jacob taken from that? Let me ask you this question. If you have children and for some reason God speaks to them in a dream like this and says to them, I am the God of your father and the God of your mother, the God of your grandfather. What would your child get about God from your life? It could very well be that Jacob thought back to the stories that his grandfather may have said and his father said uh, when, when his father just had the very first introduction of the word of God uh, there on Mount Moriah as his father was lifting up the knife, offering him up, Isaac up as a sacrifice and worship of the Lord and God staying his hand and saying, do not kill your son. Behold, there is a ram caught in the thicket. I was testing you to see if your heart was loyal to me. Could it well be that Jacob would have remembered, this is the God that Abraham loved more than my own father, Isaac. As he looked and remembered his own father, Isaac, could it be that he would remember the times when Isaac was getting pushed out and pushed out from, from opposing groups and, and sabotaging his well. And, and as he would go on not fighting these people and finally getting to the point where instead of building the well first, which was critical for their economy, that he instead worshipped God, then built the well and saw how God was faithful there. And he could have remembered this is the one that Isaac worshipped God even before he built wells. What will your children, those who come after you, learn about God from you? Will they just see that God is just a side hobby, just a, something they grew up doing? It's just something they did on Sundays? Or could they see from your life that God is the very passion of your heart? That's how God introduces himself, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And then he goes on, he says, the land of which you lie, it's going to be yours. It's going to be to your descendants. 
And by the way, as I'm talking about your descendants, they're going to be as the dust of the earth. And they're going to go everywhere, east, west, north, and south. And as we're talking about your descendants, you need to know that in your seed and all the families of the earth shall be blessed because of you and your family. He says, behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Now, we've heard this promise often now. I thought, well, you know, pastor, it's a little old here. I mean, this is Genesis 12, all the way back then. God gave this promise, and we see it in 15, in chapter 17, and we see it given again uh, with Isaac. But understand, this is the first time Jacob is hearing this. He is not living the faith of his father, not living the faith of his grandfather, but there is a moment in time where Jacob realized, I cannot live on my family's decisions i got to live on my own decisions. And you need to know, those of you who are going into college or, or getting into life, and you have had up to this point your father's and your mother's faith, there needs a point where you make a decision. Will this be my God or will it not be? And this is Jacob's moment. It comes maybe a little bit later than you as he is in his 70s. And so think about what he's saying. These, this is a general promise he's given to his fathers, but it's custom made for Jacob. What, what will Jacob be thinking? If Jacob has shame in his life, thinking maybe he's been a, a, a black cloud on his family, on Abraham, notice what God says. He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. There is no shame. I am speaking to you now. The same God of the father Abraham. Perhaps maybe there's a sense of betrayal that at Isaac, or that Jacob might have toward his father Isaac. After all, he deceived him. He tricked him. And notice what he says. I am the God of Isaac. I'm, I'm speaking to the boss of your daddy. I'm the, he's the one that's speaking to you. I can address the issue of betrayal in your life. Perhaps maybe he has a, a real sense of loss of his homeland. I mean, the, the family tribe that he's been with is, is no longer where he's at. He's going to a new place. <clears throat> going to new people that he does not know. What do you do with someone that has a loss of the homeland? God says to you, I will give you this land. The land that you lie on will someday be to you. And then maybe there's a real sense of, of insignificance. He says, you know what? I used to be the star of my mother. and My mother's not even around. I had the birthright. I had the blessings. And I can't enjoy these things because I'm running away from my, my father, uh, my brother. No one knows me here. I feel so insignificant. And God says to them, to him, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. There is no need for your insignificance. Uh, perhaps it's the loss of the family that he does not have that, that he's had all his life around anymore. He says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. I'm going to raise up a new family from you. Maybe it's the fear of the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. If he's even going to survive this journey and what happens to him there. He says to him, I will be with you wherever you go. Maybe it's a fear of failure. After all, uh, he seems like he's failed up to this point. And then God says to him, I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. How about that? In God, in this revelation, he has promised that shame is done away with. There is no more sense of betrayal. There is forgiveness. There is a new home that he has. That there is significance found in the relationship with him. That he has a new family with this relationship. That there is no fear of the future. There is hope for the future. And there is no fear of failure. Wow. That's pretty good. I mean, what would you pay for something like that? He is given to him by God. Now, that's a strange way to deal with the sinner, isn't it? 
I'm thinking, it's about time for God to lay the hammer down. This conniving, self-promoting dude. But instead, he gets forgiveness. He gets mercy. He gets grace. That's a little strange. Let me share with you Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That is mercy. That is the forgiveness of God. All the east is east and the west is west and never the twain shall meet. So far as God removed our sins, salvation is complete. And he experiences a little bit of that right then, right there. But you know, you need to understand something. That's how God is dealing with you. The Bible says in Romans that God's goodness leads to repentance. You may be thinking to yourself, you know, what? I've got such sin in my life. I deserve the bad things that come. And anytime something bad happens in our life, we ask ourselves and wonder, well, maybe it's because of some sin that I've done in my life. And, and God has punished me for these things. Rest assured that with your sin, your self-promoting, God has come not with wrath, but first comes with mercy through Jesus Christ and says to you, I offer you forgiveness. I offer you access to be with me. It's here that Jacob learns that God is going to go before him. He says, when you, when you get to your destination, Jacob, I'm going to be there. And in fact, someday you're going to come back here and I'm already going to be there. It's a way of telling us that when next week comes, God's already there. And so when next Monday comes, he'll say to us, Jared, I'm glad you're here. I've been here for a while. I've been working things out and getting things cleared out for you so that you can obey me and do what I've called you to do. And that's the, the message that Jacob is getting, that as he goes, God will go before him and pave out the way. <clears throat> Sometimes uh, mom and dad's garden didn't keep me in, busy enough growing up. Um, and so they prevailed upon my grandfather uh, for, for uh, his garden, which was much bar- bigger. And they would recruit me, sort of. Uh, and put me at grandfather's house so I could work in his garden. One of the jobs was to dig out potatoes. Uh, now, for those of you who are not familiar and think that potatoes come from a grocery store, uh, they actually come from the ground. Um, it's not a tree or a vine. You, you have to dig them up. It's part of the root system. And uh, that was one of my jobs, to dig up potatoes. But uh, he would go before me, and he would be on his tractor, and he would dig out the, the furrows the, and uh, would just make a line for me to go down. And as he would bring his plow, it would dig up all of the potatoes or most of the potatoes. And all I had to do was just walk behind him. I didn't have to wonder where to go. I knew exactly where to go. It was laid out for me. I didn't have to dig into the dirt. The, the potatoes were brought up to the surface. All I had to do was pick up the potatoes and put them in the container. What we get from this passage is that God is working like that. Is that he said, I'm going and I'm going to plow the way in front of you. You don't have to wonder where you're to go. You just follow my lead and I will provide opportunities for you. Your your job is to pick up the potatoes. Take those opportunities that God gives you and glorify him in those opportunities. He says, Jacob, I've, I've got it done for you. You just follow me. And when next month comes, I'll be there. Next year comes, I'll be there. 
and I'm going to follow, I'm going to lead the way, you follow me. That's good for me to remember from time to time. Sometimes I think, you know what, this job, I don't know how it's going to get done. And there'll be a problem in front of me. And I get frustrated and worried and wondering, I don't know how this problem is going to be solved. But what I need to remember is that when next week comes, God's going to be there. and He's going to give me exactly what I need for the day to make the answers there. I don't have to wonder yet about the problems of next year. We don't have to wonder whether or not children are going to die, spouses are going to die, whether the economy is going to collapse, whether we are involved in warfare and everything else. If that comes, if that comes, I have the calm assurance that God will be there and he will give me the direction for what I need for that day. And until that time comes, I don't worry about it. I look at this day and find the opportunities that are there. Now, as we keep on reading this passage, Jacob is coming upon a wonderful story and learning a beautiful truth about this. But I want you to realize something, because Jacob realizes it. You notice as we keep on reading verse 16, the realization that he comes upon at Bethel. Jacob woke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Why didn't Jacob know it? Well, it could very well be that he was so busy with everything that was going on. Uh, His heart was about gaining money and avoiding problems that he never had a heart, perhaps to seek out the Lord in these things. But for whatever reason, for the first time, he realizes the presence of God here. C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers in our pleasure, but shouts to us in our pain. Pain, he said, is God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. Pain may not be the worst thing that happens in your life. In fact, it could be the very best thing that happens in your life and that you hear God like you did not hear him before. And so Jacob, now in the midst of his heartache and trouble, is attuned to the very presence of God. Now, notice his reaction. This is a frightening place. This is an awesome place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He he wrongly assumed that this was a unique place and that God was only found here. What he'll soon find out is that God was going to meet him in many places around. But this just happened to be the first place that he meets God. Let me just assure you that God is aware of you. He knows what's going on. I, uh, sometimes I have too much fun. You know, it's fun being a pastor. And I, I think I'm guilty of having too much fun every once in a while. I, I, this past week, was, uh, I was voting, and I was at Central Baptist, so that's where our voting location was at. And uh, you know, I was just making sure I was at the right place. You know, it's all alphabetical. Make sure I was on the wrong line, not waiting unnecessarily. And and so uh, I was just looking around. And, and after a few moments, I realized one of our church members was, was right in front of me. Uh, and so I just kind of like, oh, this could be fun. You know, just watch, <laughs> just watch, see if anything interesting happens. After a while, I felt, oh, maybe that should, I shouldn't do that. You know, and so uh, I just kind of got right behind her. Is Becky Padula here? And and I, I just uh, I kind of whispered right in her ear. I said. The Lord's watching you vote. And you know, she just, she, she told me that she got a few more gray hairs because of that. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's just kind of fun when you, when you can sneak up on people and they realize that you're there, you know? But what we get from this passage is that Jacob has that type of moment in a whole new realm. He realizes the presence of God and it brings out fear in his life. You need to know. That what Jacob had was not unique to Jacob. In fact, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, 
This type of vision can be true of us as well. In fact, Jesus referred to this story. In John chapter 1, verse 47 through 51, he is calling his disciples, and he's calling a disciple by the name of Nathaniel. Let me read this to you. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Interesting. Israelite, Israel, is what Jacob's name gets changed into. The name Jacob, referring to deceit. He says, Nathaniel is not like Jacob, he's like Israel. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, which was a common place for folks to study the Bible back then, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. When he has this story and calls Nathanael, he lets him know. God sees you, and I see you. I am God. I saw you sitting on the fig tree before anyone called you. I was aware. I could have snuck up behind you on the ear and said, I see you. And then Nathaniel's amazement at this, he says, you know what? That's nothing. You remember that story of Jacob and the stairway to heaven, the angels ascending and descending? You're going to see that again, except I am the stairway. Jesus said, I am the stairway and the angels are going to be ascending and descending. You're going to see the power of God working through me. And so Jesus, when looking at the story, equates the stairway with himself, saying that God's power will be revealed upon him and that he too can see everything that we do, like he did with Nathaniel. So when Jesus died on the cross... And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he was put in the tomb, and he was risen again, and he told his disciples, he said, I want you to tarry for a little while, because another comforter is going to come to replace me. And they did exactly that. At the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, replaces the role of Jesus Christ. This is the very Spirit of Jesus Christ that is now residing among other all other believers in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? <laughs> that means... That if I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I have had my sins forgiven, the very Spirit of God is with me, and the same person, that stairway to heaven, is here with me in Jesus Christ. In a very real sense, you can, like Jacob, if you will just look up and you could, and in your imagination, look beyond the rafters and beams and shingles of this roof and can look up into the heavens then it would be true for you to imagine that where you sit right now that there is a stairway going up reaching up all the way to the very presence of god and the angels ascending and descending that 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 is true for us as well it's not just jacob but it's for every believer in jesus christ that we have that access to god now if jacob could have just known that when he, if we could go back in time, if he could have known that at the time when he was dealing with his father and his brother Esau and fighting over the birthright, do you think that Jacob would have dealt with things differently? 
If he had known that before him was the very access to God, there would have been no more reason to lie and to connive uh, and to deceive his father. There would have been no reason to covet after these things that he had the access of God right there. You see, I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what your fears may be, your anxieties and your problems. But look at them differently. Look at them knowing that there is a stairway that goes all the way up to the very presence of God and stops right where you sit. And angels are ascending and descending even now as we speak. Does that make you view your anxieties, your problems, your desires a little bit different? It should if you believe God. You realize that you don't have to go in your own methods and devices and anxiety and freaking out over problems when there is the, the, the presence of God there. And so Jacob realizes these for the very first time. But notice his response. Verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning. And chances are he probably didn't sleep very good after this dream. After all, still stone on his head. So what first thing he does, he takes that stone out from underneath his head. I can understand that. And he sets it up as a pillar. The pillow changes into a pillar and he puts oil on it and sets it apart of, of a way of worship. And he called the name of the place Bethel, meaning house of God. And he makes a vow. He makes a vow. He says, if God will be with me. Now, some folks see this as Jacob continuing his bargaining ways and now bargaining with God. Some folks see this as, well, a word could also be translated as since. Since God will be with me. And, and they see it as a statement of faith. But nonetheless, whatever way you go with, you cannot deny in verse 21 that his part is still future tense. So whether he believes it or it's conditioned that God will be with him, keep him on his way, give him bed, bread to eat and clothing to put on. Verse 21, he still makes it future tense that I, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Now, you may think, well, I thought Jacob already believed God. I mean, after all, he's Isaac's son. He's Abraham's grandson. Isn't he a believer in God? Let me take you back to a chapter. If you look back to chapter 27, verse 20. I don't know if you caught this or not, but this is when Jacob is in the midst of lying to his father that he was Esau. And he, his job was to bring the meal to him, the food to him, and he brought it back quickly. And his father asked, how is it that you brought this food so quickly? Notice the response in verse 20. And he said, because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. Did you catch that? Your God. Jacob did not possess God as his God. Yeah, that's good for you, Isaac. That's good for you, Abraham. He's not yet my God. And so it makes sense that as we read it here, verse 21, the next chapter over, that he, that he understands that he's not made the Lord his God. He says, but when these things come to place, he'll be my God. Then the Lord, literally the Jehovah shall be my Elohim. This one that I recognize through Isaac, through Abraham, I will recognize him as my God then. Well, some folks have transformations like Paul. 
Some of you may look back to a specific moment in time and your world changed. A complete reversal when you made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Then there are some folks that are more like Jacob who came to God in bits and pieces. A little bit here, a little bit there, until finally there's a point in time when they surrendered their all to God. It seems like at this point in Jacob's life, he's going in the right direction. He's not yet quite totally surrendered, but he's going in the right direction. And he, and he goes and gives him a bit of peace. But for whatever reason, for God, that's enough. He says, okay, I'm going to work with that. There'll be a day and time when you will bend your knee before me. And so that's his reaction. Then he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to set it up as a pillar, as a, as a monument, as something to remind me of God's presence here. You know, that's a good thing to do. We don't have to set up stones. You can if you want to. But it's good to have reminders of how God has worked in your life. There have been moments of times when we've seen God reveal and do powerful things in your life. Write things down. Put them in a journal. Let that be your pillar or have some symbol that you use to remind yourself of God's faithfulness, to tell your children, your grandchildren someday of how God has been faithful to you. That's the old song that we sing here, I Raise My Ebenezer, and we often sing that not knowing what we're singing. Uh, But that Ebenezer is referring to this type of action right here, a stone, a helping stone, something to remember God's faithfulness, a memorial. And so he raises that up, and then he does it with statements of faith, saying, I'm going to put it up here, Because someday I'm going to come back, and when I do come back, I'm going to build an altar. I asked myself, well, you know, why didn't he build an altar then? (laughs) You know, it's not like he was in a rush. He had time. Then it dawned on me, he had nothing to build an altar with. He didn't have any animals to sacrifice. All he had was the stone that he laid on. But he took what he had and gave it to the Lord. It may be insignificant. It may seem like the things you have are not much. But friends, all all it could be is that you have a pillow of stone. It may be that all you have in your life is despair and discouragement and that's all you got. And you think, I have nothing to give to God. You do. You have that despair and you have that discouragement. Give it to God. Doesn't matter if it's good or bad, you give it to God. And it's amazing. That stone one day may have been one of the building stones of which an altar was made. When he came back, he indeed, indeed did build an altar to the Lord. And he says, You know, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Speaking with anticipation of future blessings and recognize that when this happens, he wants to understand and, and proclaim that Jesus, or that God, is indeed. His God. And he recognizes that that happens financially as well. That could have very well been the very heartbeat of his life. And it says, in the very heartbeat of my life, I'm going to recognize that Jehovah is my God. Listen, I don't know where you're at. But I do know that there is a stairway provided for you. A stairway that reaches to heaven. And it's through Jesus Christ. All you have are pillow stones. Fine, you give them to God and watch what Jesus can do. These things speak to us about a Redeemer. Will you make Jesus 
your King and Lord. You'll find that if you do, if you trust in Him, a reminder of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. He will plow it out for you. You just follow Him. Will you do that? That's what God can provide for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the same God that dealt with Jacob and that many times I myself am much like Jacob. And Lord, I get hope, I get encouragement, I get mercy when I see how you dealt with Jacob and to know that, that you offer also offer to me mercy and forgiveness and that there is a way through Jesus Christ by which I can have access to you and that your angels are ascending and descending even now as we speak. Father, I don't have to be in Bethel to have that stairway. I don't have to be here in this building. I don't have to be with these people. That it can happen on my bed. That it can happen in my kitchen. It can happen at my desk, Lord. It can happen as I'm working outside to realize your presence. And I pray that everyone here would realize that they are lying at the very feet of a stairway to heaven reaching to you. God, may we view life with that. To know that you are near. For some of us, Lord, that produces fear and dread like it did with Jacob. Lord, may they know forgiveness so that dread and fear can be replaced with a hope as well. Lord, those of us who've already made this decision to follow you, help us to be consistent and not go back to our own methods and devices as though you do not exist. But may we always be conscious of the very sweet and powerful presence of you, our Jehovah. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.